BBCC episode 27, my realization of the day. I saw someone on Twitter like a couple months ago who suggested a movie about the guy who assembles all the found footage in like the found footage movie universe. And I thought it would either A, make like a great anthology film, which I mean we've kind of gotten with like VHS, or B, a super meta found footage where we follow Jake Gyllenhaal's character from Nightcrawler, who is the one going around assembling all the found footage for like the real movies in Hollywood. As my president would say, Mr. Keanu Reeves, whoa. Hello. Happy Monday. I mean Tuesday. You guys are listening on Tuesday, but happy Monday for me. Welcome to the Blade Blunt Cinema Club. It is your boy, Devon Taylor, aka underscore daddy disco on social media, aka roller skate dude on chat roulette, but don't worry, I will not kidnap you except for the next 75 to 90 minutes to talk some wild films today. This is a podcast where we fly through the subgenres of horror on a magical marijuana cloud talking our favorite horror movies with an emphasis on trying to get to like the smallest subgenre that we can. So, this is Found Footage Month all of November, debatably one of my favorite subgenres. And I wanted to not only revisit some of my favorites, but I wanted to reach out and try to try to expand my horizons a little bit. So, we are taking it up a little bit. Taking it up a notch, we're getting extreme with our special guest today, who is already waiting in the wings, so I'm not going to do too much more intro stuff. We're going to go ahead and hop into it today. Our special guest today, she is an extreme horror expert host of the Zobo with a Shotgun podcast and writer, Zoe Smith. Welcome to the Blade Blunt Cinema Club. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to talk about found footage. I am too. Like, I mean, I've been just jazzed for this entire month. Um, like I just said a minute ago, it's one of my favorite subgenres. And for you know, talking some some more intense, um, you know, more extreme horror selections today. Or, well, I'll say one of them is the other one um, because of you know movie snafus that we had um, isn't as is extreme. But we're going to still dabble into some things. And I think it's interesting because found footage kind of makes in this specific subgenre, like makes it feel, you know, when you have that realness and like that, like, uh, you know, kind of adds to the authenticity of it, you know, in it. And it makes for some uh, for some effective movie watching, I would say. Yeah, it makes for some very effective movie watching. I was saying to my partner earlier one of the things I love about found footage in extreme mm-hmm. is the fact that they can do a lot of like snuff stuff um I mean one of the other films I was gonna suggest to you was a little bit more snuff yeah and not many people like it so I was like I'm gonna hold that one back <laughs> which what was your other one uh August Underground Ooh, I've heard of that one 
I, I have heard of that one, and if you would have listed that as one of your other choices, because I went back to like see which ones you suggested whenever I couldn't find long pigs, and I was like, oh, yeah. what, which one am I going to choose instead? Uh, I wish I would have thought of uh, that one, but I'm going to go ahead and visit it this week, though, just on my own, because I've heard interesting things about that one. And that one has, yeah, that one's a series, right? Is that one the one that has like three of them? Three of them. And the middle one, if you do watch them, the middle one is even more extreme than the first one. And that's, uh, yeah, even yeah. I struggled a bit. With- <laughs> I think it was, um, I think it was the YouTuber Nick Spheres. I think she um, dove into the trilogy and said the second one is like the craziest of them. Or um, I can't remember who it was or, but, and I don't watch as many like I guess like quote-unquote extreme horrors however like I am somebody that like I do want like I'm really into the most graphic the most bloody and like very intense things but then I don't know I guess I sometimes like am one of those people whenever I kind of think of extreme horror I think of you know it kind of only being that without you know focusing on like the character stuff which you know Megan is missing one of the films that we'll be talking about is um like you kind of said whenever we were messaging is like a really good intro um I would say because it's not super yeah. extreme but it is definitely more extreme than like a casual horror fan would enjoy you know yeah yeah it there I kind of see them as films as like I don't suggest them too often obviously you you requested a suggestion so it came but you know to a lot of people that like horror they're they're not easy to watch um, as well. If Megan is missing, it's not comfortable to watch through. Uh, and I think a lot of the extreme films, they are, they're pretty uncomfortable viewing experiences, but not always just because of the blood and guts, like you were saying. Sometimes they've got a bit more to them. Yeah, and I think that's probably where like I did find it interesting for um, the movie that I did end up going with, which was... Um, be my cat instead of long pigs kind of does fit into where we're like kind of talking because this one it's not really all visually uh disturbing but like the like psychology of it is like whoa like this is a like extremely disturbed person that we're following and like the extreme levels of like cringe horror uh at in be my cat is at an all-time high so it'll definitely make for some good conversation but before we get into the main films that we're talking about uh for the episode we will um talk a couple recommendations just so that way we can kind of get uh zoe's background and like kind of a little bit more of your taste in films but even before that uh just kind of wanted to touch on your website and the podcast like how uh when did you start the podcast and like when did you like also like kind of figure out that like extreme horror was going to be like your thing well I think I first started the website back in when I was like 17 uh so like over 10 years ago and uh it was just a bit of a, a side hobby really I knew I liked journalism and and film so I decided to uh to just kind of set up a website go ahead with the website and I can't remember what the first name of it but it was something atrocious like really bad <laughs> and I think I started with a review of like Spider-Man or something and I hate Marvel films and uh yeah then at university funnily enough the way I got into extreme was actually found footage 
I oh, was writing okay. an article. Yeah, I was writing an article at uni about found footage films and what supposedly is the first found footage film ever. And I stumbled across uh, Cannibal Holocaust. And that was the film that I kind of went, oh, wow, I think, um, I think I'm now down the extreme horror route. Yeah. And um, it's like, yeah, like crazy, though, that you've been that your blog's been going for that long, though. Like, you know, I admire the consistency because like that's like, you know, kind of the hardest thing when you're juggling, you know, day jobs and university and like things like that. It's like very much hard to like stay consistent on the creative grind. And that's like one of the like biggest aspects, especially in like today's day. So it's like kudos to you for like being able to just like stick with it and being like, you know, like on it. Yeah. And I mean, you know, as well as like a content creator. I mean, when I, when I was first doing writing, it was very, you know, I'd probably write something every like three months and it was probably like 500 words. And I was like, wow, that's bloody amazing. And then I stopped for a couple of years. So I guess like it's been the last kind of five years that I've really been like upping content creation and then I started you know podcasting and YouTube and I was like oh yeah you know because writing can sometimes be a bit tiring where it's a bit nicer sometimes to have a conversation or just record a video and it's like yeah I can do that in 10 minutes (laughs) yeah like yeah I'm totally there like because writing is not my main source of content creation either even though I have like I mean I've written quite a bit over the years and it's probably the biggest sample size that I have but it's not like my first thing because like I'm such a slow writer and I'm impatient and I get distracted easily and so yeah like whenever I wasn't like writing for like um being on like before I was on staff with Nightmare on Film Street and then like that's why I kind of started writing more consistently but before then with like my own yeah. blog and writing for other websites, it was like, yeah, it was just like, oh, I'll turn something out whenever I feel like it. But yet, like, and then now doing the podcast, it's like, no, no, I'm sticking to it. This is every week. Yeah. Figure it out. No bullshit, you know. And it's been great, it- of course, you know, we all need that distraction in these crazy times yeah. right now. Yeah. And I think kind of like that consistency as well works really well. Like if you if you get into quite a good rhythm of it. And you start putting it out, like, you know, the podcast, people expect it. They're kind of waiting. Well, I hope, you know, people waiting for the next episodes. So you kind of I feel like you become a bit stricter on yourself, but in a good way. Yeah, no, it makes it makes good makes good creative work habits, like 100 percent. So now we'll go ahead and start diving into a couple just uh, recommendations that you uh, that I asked you to prepare, whether it be a like recent watch or a hidden gem or something of that nature. Um, if you want to go with your first choice, go ahead. Okay, so my first choice is I was thinking of something that I think is firstly a hidden gem and something that I actually um, have a, a watched quite recently. Um, and that's Phoenix Forgotten. Uh, so it's a sci-fi movie. Um, it's about an alien abduction. And of course, it's also a found footage film. Uh, so making sure, again, wanted to be on brand. But yeah, it's. Uh, I only discovered it recently. I can't remember where I watched it. I think it's available on one of the streaming services. And I think for like an independent sci-fi film, it's pretty good. Oh yeah, I've I think I saw it like whenever um I was like you know going through different lists or whatever to try and 
uh, find things. I, I did see that and something like very appealing. There is something like very appealing with like the found footage angle with a, with an alien movie, you know, yeah. just to kind of, you know, give it, you know, like that, that feeling. Cause like, especially with like aliens or something that a lot of people are still skeptical on. I don't know how, like, I'm, I'll just say that. Like, if you think we're not the, if you think we're the only like living creatures in this universe, come on, come on. But people are still skeptical about alien things. So I like the uh, found footage angle. Like I always, um, I think that would have made, um, uh, what's the, the movie from the nineties, the one that like everyone knows that, um, like has like the, the super scary alien, like probing scene. Um, no. oh, something like, skies of something. Oh, uh, fire in the sky, fire is in it? the sky, fire in the sky. Like <laughs> that movie is interesting, but like obviously most people only remember it mainly for, um, you know, that abduction scene and the rest of the movie is good. It's a, it's an interesting character study, but like that movie would be even like a little bit more interesting. I think if it were like found footage style, that would have put that movie like over the top. Yeah. That would have been sick. That would have made it. Cause it just, it adds like a, a real realism to it. Doesn't it? Yeah, it, it does. Um, my, one of my recent watches was, I've been meaning to get to this one for a minute was, uh, one BR, one bedroom. And I finally got around to it. It's on Netflix, uh, here in the U S have you seen that one? I haven't, I have a feeling it might be on Shudder here, but I'm not, not hundred percent sure on that. Yeah. It's on, it's on a few different things. Um, but since you haven't seen it, um, it's basically a gal, she moves to Los Angeles and she is like just left her parents or whatever. She's like trying to figure it all out. She moves into this um, apartment complex that has like a, you know, warm, warm sense of community about it, which if you live in LA, you know, is suspicious because people are not that friendly with their neighbors in apartment complexes like this. So that's where the horror of this movie lies is, of course, um, things are not as they seem in this apartment complex. And um, just to, without spoiling it for people, cause I do, this is a pretty recent one. I want people to go watch it. I just want to shout out that if you've seen the invitation, you will enjoy this movie in an aspect that they could be like spiritual sequels to each other or like not even sequels, just like in the same universe, they could be like companion movies. So if you haven't seen one BR, do a double feature of it with the invitation I might have to do that for a podcast episode at like some point. I just don't know when, but, <laughs> um, but it's, it's really interesting. I love, I love me some culty jams and my other recommendation is also a cult movie, but I didn't even do that on purpose, but we'll get to that in a second. What is your uh, second recommendation? Okay. So my second recommendation is another found footage film and actually this one would probably make kind of a good double bill with um be my cat a film for Anne and that's how I first watched them so the other one is called it's got two film titles but I'll go with the apparently the most popular one uh Descent into Darkness My European Nightmare also known as Sorgoi Prakov my European dream. Um, and it's basically this guy and he gets sent to Paris 
to make like a documentary. He's a wannabe journalist and he starts going around the city um, and he runs out of money and his producers won't send him any money. And he starts to basically, as the title suggests, descend into madness um, and darkness and go, yeah, a bit just fucking psycho really um and obviously it starts off with him doing things like partying sleeping around you know just kind of general not living well but then of course things get very nasty and uh violent that was also another like was going (laughs) to be a potential pick for me whenever i was trying to find another movie and i i wanted to find something that was a little more uh quote unquote fun <laughs> because i mean i mean i wouldn't say be my cats is is very fun but yeah i mean kind of is but um i did read that one and i was like this sounds like really sad and like almost like more leaning into the drama and just uh just to make it a better pairing i i, I skipped that one but i also still added it to like my just like movies to watch in general cuz um yeah i definitely i, I like those um spirals into madness especially when you're in another country like out of your element too that like makes it even scarier automatically so i was like ooh, i was like that one sounds good so that one is also on my list of movies to watch and um, my other movie that i just wanted to shout out was a movie i wanted to fit into the schedule for this month but it just didn't happen so i would need to shout out the sacrament which uh, is a Thai West joint, came out uh, in like 2013. And it's basically, you know, um, they like kind of frame it as like a, 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 they frame it as a Vice documentary, which I think is really interesting. Like they actually like literally use Vice. And uh, this guy is like trying to save his sister from a, from a cult. And it's basically like, you know, their take on like almost like um of the Jonestown massacre, which the interesting thing about Jonestown, uh, my connection to Jonestown, well, not my personal connection, but, um, my, my mother is from Guyana and Guyana is where Jonestown was located. Like whenever it was like operating, I mean, and still, a it's still a operating town now, but it's just not a cult anymore. Um, but yeah, so I always joke with people that cults run in my blood because it kind of does in a way. Um, but the sacrament is really interesting. I love, um, their, their take on it. And, um, Gene Jones, um, you know, who is practically playing, um, Jim Jones and he puts in a thrilling performance and I've seen, Lots of um, memes from the sacrament popping up in this past week post the election that I find very funny. So just want to shout that movie out. It's a very, very good uh, found footage movie. And I like alternative history movies in a way. And I I found that one uh, super entertaining. So check that one out if you guys have not seen it already. Have you seen the sacrament? I'm ass- yes, I have. And I feel very much the same as you. I really enjoyed it. And I actually watched it not that long after listening to a full podcast on the Jonestown's murders. So I was like fully immersed. Yeah, it's um it's I mean it's some um, dark shit. It it's dark shit yeah. and like and and it is like interesting because like, you know, that movie probably 
took some flack for, you know, their approach to doing it and, you know, but then that's also what kind of makes art interesting in a way, you know, so, um, it definitely checked that one out. It was on Netflix at some point. I don't know if it still is, but, um, uh, seek it out or no, it's on Tubi right now, actually. And Tubi is free. If you guys haven't heard of Tubi, go on Tubi. There's like so many great, especially like horror movies. Like when you're trying to find some of these like smaller movies, like Be My Cats is, um, Be My Cat is streaming on Tubi as well. If you don't have like, um, an Amazon account, it's also on Amazon Prime, but, um, shout out to Tubi that has a lot of like really wonderful movies on it. And if you can't find it, or if you just like really want to find something that like you have no idea about, scroll through Tubi. This episode is not sponsored by Tubi, but go on Tubi. So let's go ahead and get into the movies for the episode. Megan is Missing, released in 2011, written directed by Michael Goy, or Gua, I don't know how to pronounce it. I think it's Goy, though. Um, and he's mainly a TV director. You might recognize the name. Um, he has directed various episodes of American Horror Story, uh, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, Swamp Thing. Um, he did. He wrote on some episodes for Scream Queens. Um, he's worked with uh, Ryan Murphy and Brad Falchuk and company quite often. So he's in the genre camp. And this was his directorial debut. Um, he wrote the script in 10 days. They filmed it over a course of a week. This movie is banned in New Zealand um, for being quote-unquote objectionable and injurious to the audience for its sexualization of the young cast and apparently relishing in it. So New Zealand said, nah, get Megan is missing out of this country. So, Zoe, why did you pick this movie to talk about? I picked this one because I think out of all of the extreme films out there and a lot of the fan fiction ones, this doesn't ever seem to pop up very much. Um, and I'd heard of it quite a few years ago and I kept putting it off because I was like, hmm, doesn't look that good. I think there's also quite a few shitty posters uh, for it, which don't help it out at all. Uh, and then a good friend mm. of mine actually suggested it and I was like, you know what? I am going to watch it. And I just remember being, I didn't do too much research on it. So I went in quite blind and yeah, I remember being very shocked by it. Actually. Um, it, it kind of, yeah. Fucks you over a bit. It's not, it's not nice. <laughs> no, this is, um, it's not a nice movie. It's not a pleasant movie. Um, I will, um, a reminder to you guys that the podcast is filled with spoilers. So if you have not seen Megan is Missing and you are curious, um, make sure you go and watch the movie first and then come back. But if you're like a little weak sauce and like, you know, and you, you just kind of want to know the fucked up shit that's going on in it, then go ahead and keep on listening because we're going to talk all about it. And, um, I, I tweeted this out too. Like, we're going to talk about the things guys. Like, I'm not, we're not playing games today. We're getting extreme. So, um, discussions of graphic scenes and um, dark subjects ahead. So, um, this movie, yeah, I I had heard of it because yeah. um, it was like kind of, you know, so this was, so take it back to 2011. This is like kind of like the height of found footage at the time. 
Um, yeah. Like, I mean, everybody's making found footage movies because they were, like, super easy to make. You could make them for cheap. You make a lot of money. get good scares and stuff. And I feel like this movie was probably, like, one of those things that kind of got looped in with, like, a lot of the shittier ones. So that way yeah. people, and like you said, like the poster very much looked like every other poster from that era. So I'm sure people saw this and just like, I kind of went, eh, like now it's, it, it's not worth it, you know? And, and it's a shame because this is so much like more than like, you know, the typical found footage fair. Um, and, and when did you say you watched this for the first time? Uh, I think the first time I watched this was maybe like, only about maybe two years ago, so not that long ago. And then I rewatched it, of course. Gotcha. Yeah, this is um yeah, it's it's very interesting because it I have seen people kind of talk about it on Twitter. And it's like, you know, one of those movies that I see is kind of finding a little bit more of an audience and um like um it was very popular on tw- on uh, Reddit. I I saw a lot of people had um high opinions about it on Reddit. So it's it is kind of coming around um to being one of those movies and so I just saw it for the first time this week and um so mm, man this movie because <laughs> everything about it is such a weird because there's there's very great things about it and then there's very just weird things but it all just it does work it comes together yeah. in this very strange way. Like even how cheesy the like news reports are, are filmed still like at first I was like so off put by like the news reports when those started coming in. And then I thought it was just hilarious. And then I looked forward to it. And then I, by the end of the movie, I thought the news reports were like amazing. So it's like, <laughs> there there's so many elements at play here. So to kind of, um, again, to the opening segment of the show when we talk about the movies is the genre grinder, which is where we kind of talk about the subgenre within the film and then like kind of um, what elements kind of work best in it. So we are talking found footage for the entire month here. And to take it in a little bit more, the framing device for the found footage movie is they um, are presenting it as like this news report and that they put together this like whole thing and it and then using like archive footage of their video chats and cell phones and like you know things like that which one nobody was video chatting that much back in 2007 that's the first thing I have to call about this movie that (laughs) that that is strange like I, I didn't start video chatting that much until like two years ago, let alone back in 2007 and like at the like constant rate that they were doing it at. But I digress. So it, they, they put it together, like I said, like this, uh, like this, like this news report and like this n- missing persons campaign to a degree. And uh, how did that work for you? To me, I actually think it works better uh like you said, if, if you think about being shot in 2007, it's a bit questionable how many videos would have been taken. So I think the film actually works really well in its current format now, because, you know, when you do watch the news nowadays, we see a lot more real footage that has obviously mm-hmm. been captured at or during an incident happening so I think when you watch Megan is Missing now with all of the video chatting, it feels more realistic and relevant now so I feel like maybe was 
looking into the future and going, what, what will make an impact maybe 10 years down the line? Yeah, I think that does make sense. Um, yeah, because it, it definitely would make more sense in like today's context that they're like pulling the footage and stuff. The only other hiccup where this like comes in is like, okay, if it's the news people putting this footage together, then who slapped on the last 22 minutes, you know, where, you know, I'm, that's where like, while I'm talking in the intro for today's episode, like on who's putting these found footage movies together, you know, like I, I like to think of some. Whoever did it, they're probably going to get fired for the last 20 minutes. You wouldn't want to show that on the news. See, and like I said, <laughs> Jakey G's character in Nightcrawler, he would put that shit in. Like, that's why I imagine this just, like, little nefarious person, like, cutting together these found footage movies in their fucking basement. Hey, heebie-jeebies. But, um, but yeah, the... So, and, and the way that it's put together is, like, so minimalistic, and it really works here. Like, um, the, like, there's not any, like, unique editing... You know, like they don't do like cuts or like transit and like it's like very like it appears sloppily put together and but it really works. Um, And, you know, they kind of went a little too sloppy here and there because um, it was funny. There's a couple scenes where you can see like the boom mic like shadow in the background and that made me laugh. So it's like, think they leaned a little too hard into, oh yeah, we just uh, made this real sloppy looking, but but besides that though, like it it always made me feel like very like off put, like whenever they would just like put a photo, like when they were just showing photos, and like not even clips, and then they would just like put them on the screen for like and hold it there for a minute, and then do it again, and it was just like, ah, that's this making me this making me really uncomfortable. <laughs> Yeah, it does. It, that's the weird thing about it. like the. I think the whole thing makes you uncomfortable, and I also think it's a film that kind of like before it makes you really uncomfortable, it lulls you into a false sense of security. You know, like the first, I think it's a good like forty minutes of the beginning of the film. Nothing particularly bad happens. You know, it's just kind of teenage girls doing what teenage girls plus a little bit of. Uh, you know, trauma and mm -hmm. sexual abuse. Obviously, those bits are certainly uncomfortable, but I think all in all, the first kind of 45 minutes, you're kind of going, okay, you know, nothing too bad's really happening. It's just these two girls, you know, being teens. And then it suddenly goes, bam, we're going to, uh, we're going to get you. <laughs> yeah. Like the, it, so if you guys haven't seen Megan is Missing and you're still listening to the podcast, Megan is Missing, um, it primarily focuses on Megan and Amy, these two best friends. Megan is um, has, comes from a bad house. She doesn't get along with her mom. Um, she has had a sexual assault in her past and she's the more party girl and she's the one that like wants to drink and get drugs and like she's sucking dicks and you know, she's doing all the things. And then Amy is her uh, more shy friend that's more introverted in um, all of Megan's friends hate Amy for no apparent reason. <laughs> As does everyone else in this movie, apparently. Everyone hates Amy. Poor Amy. And, um, and yeah, so they, they're 
you know, you, and you follow their friendship and like, that's kind of where you're like getting their video footage. Cause like Amy got a camera for her birthday. So it's like, you're getting some footage from that. And then you're getting a lot of footage from their video calls. Cause they like talk all the time. And, um, the two actresses, neither one of them, um, had much experience coming in. Um, it was played by, uh, Amber Perkins played Amy and Rachel Quinn playing Megan. Um, neither one of them had much experience. I think, um, Quinn had done some like commercials, but that was really about it. So you're getting some like very raw young performances from these two. And, um, Michael Goy, you know, because they are very young and the stuff that was going on when they were filming, he like requested that like the parents be on set like the entire time. So that way they were fully aware of like, you know, what was going on and making sure everybody was comfortable. So I really like that um, he went out of his way to do that, which is really great because that's where, you know, people, I guess, like um, get uncomfortable with these movies when they're portraying, um, you know, particular violence and like sexual violence against, you know, kids of this of this age, but then also having, you know, uh actors of that age actually portraying it as well it's controversial on like you know whether you should be watching this and if you like what kind of enjoyment you're getting out of watching it but then like when you kind of dig a little bit deeper and you like understand that like the director like wasn't a creeper he was like going out of his way to like make sure everything was like comfortable and like good makes you feel a little bit better watching this film and it definitely um their performances uh definitely add some authenticity to it megan um does the better performance I'd say she's a little bit better of an actor um uh, Amy Amy you know she has to do some acting in the back half of the movie so I won't discredit her uh completely yet but um but Megan was definitely the more natural on camera not as stiff and awkward but it also just added to like these are fucking some awkward ass 14 year old girls doing their awkward ass 14 year old thing you know yeah, it makes it feel far more authentic that they're not so script like highly scripted and acted. Like it is, like you said, it's exactly how 14-year-old girls act. I mean, I've been one and I was a you know mumbling fool most of the time. You just kind of go around doing things <laughs> like the best thing to do at the time. Um, and yeah, I think actually, you know, given the fact that they are so young during the film and they didn't have that much experience I think like you said you know Megan you know she's the star of the film really and she does she does do a good job of that and then you have Amy um and I've got to say the the friends the you know like the group of friends of the girls they do a pretty good job of being bitches I mean poor Amy (laughs) like everyone's so mean to her yeah like I mean Amy is like definitely like I don't know the the stand-in for just this movie in general is just like it, this movie is mean like it, <laughs> it it's one of the movie like it has it ends super bleakly um I mean everyone dies bad guy wins all the things and it's like it's not meant to make you feel good like at all but but like you're you're watching and like you said like the the first 40 minutes are pretty tame until it like gets to that party so um I find one thing interesting is that this movie is set in North Hollywood and I live in North Hollywood and I know 
things were a lot different. This is for the LA listeners. Like you guys know what North Hollywood used to be like, but like it was almost like until they mentioned it, it like more felt like I was like kind of watching something from like Indiana or like Missouri, which is where I'm actually from as well. So having like that kind of vibe of like, and like they like get to this party and it's just like, so just like, like it's not really a part people are just like standing around just like getting drunk really drunk by like to themselves and just like being just like generally weird and it's like that doesn't look fun at all but that's what you did around that time and uh that party scene is like actually like very visually interesting like um Michael Goy does manage to do some interesting visual things in the way that he frames um some of the footage that they show and then, um, just like, and then like the party scenes, like the only scene that like, we actually like have like more of a moving camera and like kind of, um, some dynamic things kind of going on, but it was like flashing lights and you just like kind of see these like weird cuts and all the guys in the, in the film are just oof. Like, cause, cause when we do get introduced to Ben, the friend throwing the party, like even in that like first like video chat. I was like, ooh, this guy is, uh-uh, he's creepy and kind of weird. Like, he, like, like just the way he, like, spoke and just, like, they, like, very much, like, all, like, him and the other male character, like, Gideon, they, like, talk to these, like, girls, like, just, like, complete shit, like, they're fucking sub, like, <laughs> objects, you know, and it, like, infuriates you, but then you're just, like, and but then, like, when in the reality of like especially like how Gideon is like much older than them and like is like uses them for like the drugs like the, just the 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 scum level is just oh it's like overwhelming so it's like we still haven't gotten like the visual stuff yet which we will get later but like even just like the the outward view of like you know these girls going through this world and like the way that they go about their lives right now it's just like it's like harrowing yeah this and there's so many you know goy put so many parts in it like that in the beginning part um i think for me one of the most disturbing parts of the entire movie is when megan is telling amy about the first time she gave a blowjob which is just after the party scene which is as you said pretty grimy and she says the first time that she gave a blowjob she was 10 at a camp to a 14 year old and she tells this story quite you know as if it's almost she laughs and she's like oh it wasn't that bad and you know it's her telling Amy uh, this supposedly fun story and what obviously we learn we're like well that's you know that's like pedophilia right there you mm-hmm. were you know you used by a summer camp when you were 10 and she brushes it off as as almost like nothing doesn't she and I think it's and Amy has no idea either she's so innocent and I guess we as the viewer were sat there going what the fuck yeah (laughs) yeah the like the the weird psychology of like us knowing yeah like what was actually happening and like yeah just and that was whenever I was like really into the actor that was playing Megan too I was like oh shit like the way like she like told this story was just so uh, and then and it's just like yeah and like she just like kind of like but then it's like you even like as she's saying it and like you said she'd like kind of like giggle and like laugh things off you would kind of still see it in her eye 
that like she knew it was like or like or maybe as she's like telling Amy the story she's realizing okay maybe this was kind of weird but you know she's telling her friend now and 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 it is like also like a very like tender moment for their friendship like Amy doesn't really say too much like I mean she's like asking questions like hey did you scream like was it bad like were you scared and like you know and then at the end she just like kind of concludes with like oh well you know then I'm sorry kind of you know and uh yeah it's that's a that's a oof scene for sure and like another scene that I can't remember if it was before this or after this but um, another scene that just, like, kind of, like, was, like, very, like, painfully, like, uncomfortable to watch was whenever um, uh, Megan's mom bursts in, uh, like, whenever, um, or when they, like, have the fight, like, the mom, like, asks uh, something about a recording, and Megan was like, ah, I unplugged it, it didn't record, and the mom fucking flips out, and you, like, hear them, like, she, like, comes in, I mean, they go into this screaming match, like, and this is while they were, um... Oh, this is at the beginning of the movie whenever they were on camera with uh, Gideon and the other chick. And she's just getting fucking screamed at by her mom over a TV recording. And then she like smashes her like game console or whatever. And I was just like, ah, like, you know, like that's that's the ultimate like horror edition of like when you're at your friend's house and they're getting in trouble and you're just like uh, well, I don't know what to do here like even that was just like very uncomfortable to watch and like also added to like you know the sympathy of Megan's character yeah that's and that's the thing like there's so many of those little uncomfortable things that kind of like gnaw at you the whole film during that first half and what comes afterwards is obviously worse but I I think like those small bits they don't although they kind of get you as you go through they don't like fully Mm -hmm. I guess ready for what you're about to see I feel like you're still kind of you're like okay it's uncomfortable but not, not too uncomfortable and then kind of ventures into the very uncomfortable territory yeah so it it does yeah it progressively just gets like more uncomfortable i also just like had seen in my notes a, a quote during that um blowjob story was um amy goes was he hot and megan goes nah he kind of uh he kind of <laughs> looked like that guy from 7 and then amy goes brad pitt and then she goes no nah, the weird killer guy <laughs> and she responds with like oh ew. <laughs> yeah and then and then now now because she's referencing kevin spacey and now we're like ooh, double oof <laughs> for for that one um <laughs> really really uh funny quote there but yeah so then but then so after that scene is around the time where we get introduced to the villain of the movie skater dude josh who would have thought that a movie would make a character named Skater Dude Josh be absolutely terrifying. And they don't even show this dude's face the entire movie. Like, yo, Josh is terrifying. Like, so she, so Megan is on, like, you know, the video chat and she, um, a friend tells her to, like, talk to this guy and, like, gives her a picture or something. Or, yeah, something of that nature. Which has me like thinking now. Now I I didn't even think about that detail, but we'll get to that in the end here. Um, 
so she starts talking to this guy. He says that his camera's broken. Um, right in the first like conversation, he's already slipping up and being extra suspicious. Because he says, first he says his little brother broke the camera. Then he says it was his dog. Then he's like, yeah, it was the, my brother, then my dog. <laughs> and, and he's like charming Megan. And it's like, again, so we don't see his face. So like at this part, and like this is like kind of like something interesting for the movie is like now it's just Megan is talking to us like like straight to the camera and then it's like Josh so it's like making us feel like we're luring Megan in because I mean we are the ones watching the movie so we are adding to her demise in a way but oh so Josh is just like from the very first call creepy 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 yeah he's uh like you said, you never you would never think that someone called Skater Boy Josh could suddenly be that creepy. But I can confirm as someone that used to be obsessed with uh hanging around the skate park when I was a teenage girl, skater boy Josh's definitely a hundred percent exist. You would go down there and I was like, some of the people in this skate park should not be hanging around with 13-year-old girls. They're like 52-year-old men that cannot skateboard. So I feel like they were quite <laughs> right there with that one. But yeah, he's very creepy. And like you said, there is, unfortunately, there's so many red flags every time Megan speaks to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, like his camera's always broken and then she is supposed to meet him at a party and she never sees him. And the next day on, on video call, he's like, oh, I was there. I saw you. You were wearing this, this and this, but I'm shy. And you're kind of going, that's not fucking right. Uh, <laughs> like the red flags. And like, and like you said, like, and I think it's at that moment, like when he like gets her a second time of being like, I was there, blah, blah, blah. And turns her around on that. That's, I think, at the point when you go, oh, man. There's really no hope for this girl in this movie, you know, like when you're thinking yourself like realistically of like just like knowing like, you know, what is about to happen. Like it. So it's like it just the impending doom is just like creeping up on you and they do a really good job of like ratcheting the tension on it. And I remember like I don't know if it was around the time that the movie came out or if it wasn't till like a little bit later, but um. Because there was another movie that was like a TV movie that was made based around similar events to this. And that's what um, this movie was kind of marketed as, like when he wrote it, is like he kind of wrote the movie based on not actual true stories, like a specific true story, but just like the general event that was happening like around this time of like, you know, people were very didn't understand you know the dangers of the internet at the time and and where I'm from in Missouri there was a like big case of this girl uh falling getting like catfished getting catfished and like bullied super hard into into basically committing suicide and and it was like so like this movie kind of like got a little bit of like comparisons to that and like but being caught up in because a lot of that was just happening in like such a short amount of time so like you know and even now where people are kind of getting more weary again about like you know being on the internet and things like that where 
kids have, you know, even more access right now. So it's like the, the context, you know, now makes this even like scarier, even though this like, you know, took place back in 2007. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, obviously I think that's, I guess it kind of goes back to my point earlier about talking about, um, you know, with the video phones and everything, I think uh, the dangers of the internet are still, you know, there's still stories of maybe not so much catfishing, but people meeting not such great mm-hmm. people on the internet. And I think, you know, there's always the argument with kids, you know, getting mobile phones younger and younger. They've got so many social media apps and TikTok and videos and, you know, access to almost everything. I guess it's quite, again, the, the message of... Megan is missing I think it's quite poignant um in in today and you know I think uh, I read something about uh Goy saying that you know one of the reasons he made Megan is missing is to raise the awareness of the dangers of the internet that was his purpose so I think it's I'm not saying it's a film you should show your kids because maybe it's you know a bit extreme but <laughs> it could do the job yeah no this oh I mean this would totally do the job um and yeah like i think it's great that like yeah he wanted to do this to make awareness but not do it in the sense of like you know that people do when they make movies and then kind of you know still give it a happy ending at the end or you know something like that or that the the person gets caught and he's just like no like look look here girls are dying girls are getting raped girls are getting kidnapped it's happening stop it you know and it's just like it's a very much like, you know, like taking people by the shoulders and like shaking them. Cause then, so Megan goes to meet Josh behind a diner and she gets napped. And, you know, we, uh, later see this, like, we know she's getting kidnapped obviously, but like Megan goes missing for, for a couple days. And then that's when the news reports come in. Um, love (laughs) the, the title, drop in in the first news report like they're like introducing it and then they're like like is Megan a runaway that you know she's ignoring her friends blah 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 and ran off with some boy or did she get kidnapped we don't know but one thing is for sure Megan is missing and I was like Leo DiCaprio and once upon a time I was like ah ah there it is there it is right there (laughs) um so the the news reports come in um in a interesting fashion and then um it did get me for some reason like it this was so not scary but by the way that they did it was so when they show the surveillance footage the real surveillance footage not the reenactment that they do later which that what um but (laughs) (laughs) but they um they show the like diner security footage that they saw that like kind of breaks the case that like you know megan was kind of napped by somebody and they show all they do is they show it and it's just her getting grabbed by the wrist, you know, and they're trying to like get in closer to like try to get his face. And then it's like they they do it and then they just go enlarge 200 percent. And then it's like zoomed in. And and I don't know. I know I'm watching just a regular found footage movie, but of course, like, you know, horror brain is like teaching me. Are they going to randomly jump scare me in this movie for some reason? And of course, like they don't, it's like, then they just do it again. They go enlarge 500% and it's just like there. And I don't know if it was just like creepier that I was like, 
oh shit, like the way that this guy was walking, it's like he knew where the camera was and how to hide his face, you know? Because again, like this entire movie, you're wondering if we ever gonna see Josh's face. And it's like, you know, we just get his voice for video calls for a while. And then once we actually, uh, you know, Josh kidnaps Amy later as well, then that's when we get like physical Josh, but we still don't see his face the entire movie. Ah, I love that. Like, I mean, Josh is a, a scumbag, but I, I love the portrayal like, Ooh, so much. Um, but yeah, like they, they bring in that footage and just the way that they presented it was like, like I said, really interesting. And then again, now everybody, the friends are ganging up on Amy even more that it's her fault that Megan is missing. <laughs> These friends are so mean. Oh, they are the worst. And I think, uh, and actually, and maybe you, you were maybe going to say it earlier, but when we were talking about um, how she met Josh and that was through one of her friends, that all seemed a bit, I'm sure you agree, it seemed a bit dodgy at the time when she was like, oh, I know this person. Why don't you speak to this Josh? And then all of a sudden, you know, Megan's missing and there's the scene where Amy, poor thing, she's she's desperate find Megan I mean she's uh, poor little lamb she's a she's a bit lame in ways oh, but you I know, know. <laughs> and uh she I can't remember where she is it's like near a diner or something and the two girls one of them being the girl that introduced Megan to Josh starts saying uh oh it's your fault that she's missing we all hate you um I miss her so much and thinking about now I'm like uh, I think she probably knew what she was maybe doing. I don't know. Seems to be a bit... She knows she it, she's at fault to what? some... Uh... Well, see, that's where I get... I got confused. And I was like kind of thinking about it here a minute ago, too. Because this is also the friend that, like, um, someone... Early, uh, like, uh, Ben, earlier in the movie, was teasing. Oh, are you in love with Megan? Are you love her? Are you guys making out? And then, like, whenever they confront Amy, she does. She goes, I loved her, and she loved me. And then I was like, oh, shit, now this movie's a queer horror movie, too. Yes, yes, yes. Um, But then, yeah, now thinking about it, I was like, and then I was like, oh, wait, yeah, she's the one that introduced. So I'm, I'm like, confused on, like, what she would have known or, like, what would have let her, led her to introducing, you know, if she wanted Megan herself. So, like... That's where that's where I'm like I'm hung up in the loop right now. I'm not exactly sure, but that 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 scene is just yeah, just like very like uncomfortable, because like I mean I say it all the time because I have three younger sisters. There are nobody. There's no one in the world meaner than like a 13, 14 year old girl. Like like they know how to cut you deep and like get into you, you know. And just like them, just like, like that girl, like laying into Amy and like she, her like voice got all shrill. And I was like, ah, ah, like it it gave me like PTSD from, you know, my childhood with, with my sisters at times. Yeah. It's, um, they're just, yeah, they're so brutal towards her and they are, they are exactly, they're very well played because yeah, they're exactly how girls are at that age. They're just, uh, 
yeah, sly and very mean. I've been there. I've done it all. It's, you know, school rivalries and you can't be friends with so-and-so because for whatever reason. So I don't know whether maybe she, um, I don't know, maybe she was angry at Megan and she, she knew that Josh was a bit weird and thought she'd palm him off. Who knows? Maybe. But, maybe she knew Josh was weird, thought Josh would just scare Megan away from men. So that way she would just be into girls and they would fall in love. That's what her grand scheme was. There we go, guys. We figured it out. Do what you do for love, huh? You do what you do for love. Um, but yeah, it's a, like, in, in like what's also upsetting is because it's like everyone is like out to get these girls because it's like they're already dealing with like the men that are already in their life. Now there's this threat and then it's like also the girl on girl hate and then it's just like no one is safe. No one can win. So then uh, uh, then pictures surface of Megan being uh, tortured and like those images fucking got me. I was like, oh, damn. Um, of like her head being in like some fucking contraption with some shit in her mouth, like some like dental looking type deal. It was, um, very, very scary. And then, so Amy later is like doing some vlogs to herself. And like in the first one, you see Josh creeping around in the background. And then, and then the second time she gets caught and like, you only see his arm and, just, and then it cuts and then just hard cuts, and then this is after this. This is why, like, the last tw- these twenty two minutes are undoctored, uh, unedited. This was what was found when we found the camera, and we see Josh has them in this like dungeon, and he's got Amy locked up, chained up in a like dungeon room, and um, he we don't know where Megan is. We we haven't seen Megan. And he, like, makes her eat food without her hands just so he could, like, she could get her teddy bear. And it's like, okay, this is uncomfortable. It's going to get worse. I already know it's going to get worse. And that's when we get, like, Josh's, like, physical presence and becomes, like, just, like, even more terrifying. Like, oh, like he, oh, man, scary shit. And again, no face, no face. (laughs) yeah I think it's at those I think it's at that bit when they drop those two photos where you the whole tone of the film just shifts and you go oh fuck here we go this is it's uh because yeah like we said it's it's quite a bit into the film and you know that obviously something not great's happened to Megan uh there's an aspect of you know what's going to happen to Amy and then they drop those two uh like torture photos which they also before they say um in the text that it was like found on a fetish site so we already know being used for really horrific dark web shit and then they flash up these two pictures and you're going oh fuck and then amy gets taken and it's like okay well here we go then i'm gonna settle into the sea and uh accept this for what it's gonna be yeah and in when they flash the photos and like kind of similar like when they were like showing the surveillance footage earlier too is kind of when it hit me that found footage movies are really effective in how they don't have scores you know because most of the time it's just archive footage or whatever like on 
like um, there's a there's a few like little cheats that I have found here and there, but um, but like but here there's just like a lack of sound, you know. There's just like, and so when they do that, and like you said, like there is just like this tonal shift of again, like oh man, like this is yeah, like the it's because it's already happening. Megan, we've at this point that's where I'm already thinking like okay, Megan's dead. Like, if her foes are already up on the fetish site, that means he's, like, kind of baiting people now at this point. Ugh. Like, that's, it's, it's terrible to think of. So then, um, we do get, um, after, after, you know, Amy is just getting tortured and she's getting kept. And then, so when he goes back to go get Amy and, like, take her out, um, he passes for the second time this blue barrel. And I was like... I go, you motherfuckers. I knew it was coming. And then when the reveal later happens, it still got me so good. But like, even before that, this is the, the most disturbing scene of the film is he just like takes her out to go rape her. And the way that, again, like Goy, the way that he frames these shots and stuff. And this is also how I kind of like, you know, realized that, you know, obviously, I'm never, I can't say that there's a well-shot raped scene, or that rape scenes are ever good, but if you're going to shoot a rape scene, and you're going to, you know, make it effective, yet also without it relishing in what's happening, and some people say it does just because of the length of it, it's like a solid three minutes of just but he doesn't like show the visual aspect of it, you know, like we don't need to see any of that. We don't, it's a, it's kind of similar to, um, the rape scene in revenge as well, where it's like, it's not relishing. Like they're not focusing on that aspect. The horror is in the acting of Amy here because it's literally just her face in the shot while she's getting raped. And this is where like, she's like really doing some acting of, again, it's just this long grueling shot and she goes from the, the, the fear and the pain and then just to nothingness. Just, uh, and then his hand comes into frame and it's got blood on it. And then I went, stop it. And I paused the movie for a second because I was like, oh, like that's, yeah. that's a scene. Jeez. Yeah, that is a pretty, pretty nasty scene and you know like to an extent I'm I'm an advocate in a maybe it's not the right word but in a way I'm an I'm an advocate of um you know quite gratuitous rape scenes purely because I think it's sometimes maybe good's not the word but I think it's beneficial to mm -hmm. show yes. horrific rape in all of its I guess you know horrendousness you mm -hmm. know like uh, I think in Irreversible, for instance, is one of the best uh, scenes put to film because I think it really explains how brutal it is. But I think in Megan is Missing, uh, like you said, you know, also considering the aspect that she is a, a young actress and you don't really want to show something like that because she's not, you know, she can't even have sex um she's not she's not an adult she's a child I think they do it so so well and like you said I think it's actually more effective in that way because I think if they showed it of a child everyone would just be like we just don't need to see that like that's mm -hmm. nasty yeah that scene you don't need to see anything like you said just Amy's face alone is 
my god, is haunting. It's horrible. Yeah. Like, in yes, I understand exactly what you're saying. Like, because, yeah, there is a, 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 a way that you have to, that people have to know of, like, yeah, like, on... Because we do kind of get this, like, Hollywood version of rape sometimes, you know? So, like, like you said, like, depending on the movie is where you need it to be, like, as horrifying as, like, what it actually is, you know? Not because it's relishing in the fact or, like, fetishizing or anything like that. That's only if you're thinking of it that way, and that's on the audience. That's not the director's fault. That's the director, like you said, of being like, hey, I need to show you, like, on how brutal and horrific it is. And uh, But, yeah, just in the way that they shot for this film specifically, in the context of the film and everything, um, like, really good work. Um, So, again, there's no great rape scene, but good job on the direction by Michael Goy, I'll say that. (laughs) Um, And that's, you know, that's the height of the movie, that's, like, the worst part. But then, the ending is still pretty brutal itself, like, just the theory of it. So, first, right after the rape scene is where we figure out that fucking Megan is in the bin, has been, like, I guess, like, disintegrating in chemicals, and her fucking, it's like, uh, she, like, looked like, um, the chick that got attacked by Samara in the ring, that's what, that's what Megan looked like, and they, like, just flash it for a minute, too, you know, and again, because there's no, like, score to, like, put the stinger on it, it doesn't play, like, a jump scare, but it is still just, like, fucking terrifying, and, like, you knew it was coming, because they showed the bin like three times and I went, I was like, Megan's in that fucking bin and still got me, still got me. Yeah, same. That scene oh, is, like you said, I think in any horror mo- movie, if you see like a barrel or a bin, you're going, <laughs> yeah, that's not good. We know, we just know as horror fans, it's like, nah, nah. I mean, you go around someone's house if they've got a barrel, it's like, no, 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 I'm going. Yeah. I'm good. Well, what do you have these barrels <laughs> for? I'm, I'm, no, I'm not staying for dinner. You have a barrel sitting in your kitchen. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so after those scenes, um, the the final uh, scene of the film is like, I think I tried looking at the time. It was like eight minutes of Josh just digging a grave while Amy's pleading with him from in the barrel and he's obviously going to just fucking bury her alive in this barrel and she's just pleading and like she's saying all this stuff like the like kind of the Munchausen syndrome is like set in where she's just like I love you I love you like you're no one else loves you I get you like let me out like she's already been broken and he's just and she's just pleading it's just literally eight minutes home dude just you know dig in the grave uh one respect the hustle because that's a deep ass hole you gotta dig for that large of a barrel to also have a person in that's a very large hole that's kind of crazy but you know what serial killer respect to him in that fashion because uh burying someone alive is just i mean that's evil it's evil evil and just like i think does encapsulate the way to like end this movie of like Hey, here's your hope and innocence. We're burying it. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah, completely. Uh, it's just it's just such a bleak film. Um, and like you said, it is it is a good eight minutes. And I, I think even this time rewatching it, I I double checked. I was like, how much longer do we have left of this bit? I was like, you know, it's kind of going on a while. Um, and I think yeah, it kind of you said evil and I remember someone once I was telling them I was going to watch it and they were like that movie is evil it is 
like a cruel evil movie but I think that's you know that's kind of like the message of it isn't it which is why I think it's you know so effective yeah it was it, it it's just yeah like I mean I like I like bleak endings um especially like when they're very well earned and I will say just like the the impending doom and like the pacing and like the ratcheting of the tension which just played out perfectly to have this ending to where it's like it, it it hits you and it is like a fuck you but it wasn't like it's not a surprise to you because like you kind of knew all along so it doesn't kind of hit you like you're like being betrayed by the movie or anything because I think it very well was demonstrated throughout the film like this is not gonna end well for anybody you know so um <laughs> Megan Megan is missing is fucking uh lit um but there is also like it is bleak, but I will say the cheesiness of like the news report stuff does add a little bit of levity to the film, and because um, there's there's a lot of great unintentional comedy in this movie as well. Um, some yeah. very some very um inspired line deliveries by some of the actors in it. So it's it isn't all it isn't all terrible. Like you can still uh, watch this movie. And uh, not feel like you're like totally covered in mud, but um, really great film. I I appreciated it. So let's go ahead and touch on the next film as well. <laughs> Be my cat, a film for Anne, released in 2015, written, directed, shot, edited. Set decorated, casted, and starring Adrian Tofey. Um, <laughs> this movie is about a a filmmaker in Romania who wants to make a film. He wants to make a film called Be My Cat. But so to make that film, because he wants to make this film, he wants Anne Hathaway to be the star of it. So he wants to make this film. So to get her to be in the film, he is going to make a different film. Of him filming scenes of that film with different actresses. <laughs> to, okay, to, like a Nolan film here. <laughs> yeah. It's like this is some like weird um, DIY Kaufman shit going on in this movie. On top of the, the real life director he uses his name in the film too. He just goes by Adrian. All the actresses do. Um, so this is one of those films. So it's like really trying to sell you on the, just like, how real is this? Like, what is going on? Because, um, it was, so he like, he did, he, one man showed this thing. Um, he had never, uh, used a video camera before, but he came from a background of like, um, method performance and, um, like, uh, improv and stuff he was a, he's mainly an actor and that's the background he came into and then so it, he had no crew when he did this it was just him and the actresses um he did all the roles himself he um partially lived in character while he was doing it because he is a method guy he met the actresses for the first time in character with the camera on as he does within the film here and he only kept 
the first takes in the final cut. He filmed 25 hours of footage, and that's what is uh, said at the beginning of the film. Is um, All the film says for this one is it, this was edited out of the 24 hours found at the crime scene. So I guess the police edited this together for some reason um, is the, the framework here. So, uh, Be My Cat, uh, again, I had to choose this movie because um, we were originally going to talk Long Pigs, and man, I went on a manhunt for that movie, and I thought that would have been great for the podcast, being like, oh yeah, people got to find this movie to watch it themselves, but then I literally couldn't find it myself. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't exist. Honestly, I, I have no idea where the hell I watched it. Uh, but yeah, I couldn't find it for a rewatch either. And I was like, when you said, well, we're not going to do it. I was like, it sucks. Cause I remember it being really good and a lot of fun, but, um, I will hunt it down one day and, you know, we can share with everyone where, where to find long pigs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We got to figure that out because I now, yeah, I'm transfixed on it now. I have to find it. So that way I can watch it. Cause I was just like, God damn it. Like, I mean, I, I, I did all the things I try it. Cause it said that it was available on prime, just not in my area. But then I, so I went like country by country on my VPN trying to geo unlock it and to no avail. So I will I will track this movie down one day. It, it will it's now my white whale. But Be My Cat. Be My Cat is a worthy replacement. Um um it's not as dark and hardcore as I thought it was going to be. Um because I think just to find a replacement I was like most disturbing found footage movie and it, this came across. But I thought it was going to be a little bit crazier, but it is still pretty just like it's a deep deep, you know, character study on a person that is just deeply fucked up, deranged, but also it's like you feel bad because um he is just like like you so believe this guy Adrian as this character like I didn't I didn't even like try to like find interviews or anything afterwards because I didn't want the mystique to be broken before I record this podcast because I'm like like how is this guy in real life? I gotta know. I gotta know. So like, what what are your initial thoughts on Be My Cat? I I was really glad actually when you mentioned this one because I watched it, um, I watched it a few years ago when it when it first came out uh, and I was quite excited for, for you to suggest it because I'm actually um, friends with Adrian on Facebook. So I won't tell you before we finish <laughs> about what kind of person he is but I do have him on Facebook so I was like actually now's the time knowing the real Adrian to re-watch the film um, and safe to say uh, I still completely believe the character that we see in the film and I think the greatest thing about Be My Cat is it's it is extreme like in a lot of ways and I think a lot of people would watch it and feel really disturbed by it uh, but I also think it's 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 a bit more fun, you know, compared to something like uh, Megan is Missing, Be My Cat is far more fun and entertaining um, and gives you a bit more to talk about, I think. Yeah, like this one, it's fun because it's like watching a horror version of The Room 
or I guess the disaster artist because it would be like more like the making of the room. Like, you know, have you seen the disaster artists like about it? Yeah. So, so that's like kind of the vibes that like gave me. And like, I mean, I laughed like a lot throughout this film because I mean, Adrian is hilarious as Adrian, this person, (laughs) because this movie also like kind of fits into a, another like specific subgenre or not even subgenre theme that I'm always very attracted to in movies. And it's like this, um, this theme of, uh, ambition or the dangers of ambition rather. And (laughs) so it's like Adrian is so convinced that he has to do, he's one of those, you know, the, the typical experimental director that's like, everything needs to just be real. That's the only way to make the real art. I must make the sacrifices. You must make the sacrifices. And so he, you know, has, and he's just talking to Anne, quote unquote, the entire film. But I mean, it's like kind of him just like talking to himself and like convincing himself of all these things. And, and he is just, he's delusioned the entire film. He like this entire film, he's just so distant, like he doesn't know. And it's like, then you get that anxiety of like watching him and like listening to him where it's like you feel bad, but then you also see like how genuine he believes like what he's saying. And like, then it's like also scary at the same time too. Like, I don't, Oh, it's fascinating. I don't, I don't know what to make of, of this guy or the, 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 the film, but I do love like, cause I like, uh, like mumblecore style films and like he didn't yeah. like actually write a script for this. There's only the plot points and he would shoot it guerrilla style and stuff. Um, and and he would like kind of just like piece it together, like, you know, like almost like a documentary, kind of like how the film is presented. So that's where like the, the found footage angle like really comes in. And I touched on it in the last week's episode is like there's not as many found footage movies like that are character driven as you would think there would be, you know, it always kind of more drives on like, you know, the situation at hand or like the gimmick on how it's being filmed. But I think like the, some of the most effective found footage movies are these like character studies where like you can really put yourself into their shoes and like both these movies kind of like blend that, you know, reality and you know what you're watching. And that's where I think the found footage like really, really works here. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, because I I was listening to your episode talking about Creep, and I think that's one of the things I love about Creep so much is, like you were mentioning, you've obviously, it's very character-driven, and you do kind of, even though Mark is a bit, you know, weird in it, uh, you do begin to like his character, and I think the same in Be My Cat is, even though um, Adrian obviously has a lot of problems, and that's very obvious, like, you kind of in a way you kind of, like you're saying, you kind of have to commend him for the ambition he has to make this movie for Anne Hathaway. Like he is obsessed and nothing is going to stop him. And he's also like, you know, he's, he's kind of, like you said, he's hilarious and you kind of feel quite sorry for him at the beginning, but then you begin to see him and he gets 
worse and worse and you know the way he is to the actresses is he's so mean to them you know one of them he's just like you're too fat you can't be Anne Hathaway and she's like I think I'm skinny it's like yeah why do you think that and we're going oh god it's so awkward but at the same time like you don't I never felt like I hated him and I think that's the thing about his character is the whole way through the film like he's he's so weird but you're kind of drawn to him and you want to watch him and see him on screen yeah, like uh, I'm a I'm a bartender, you know, portrayed, and I see a lot of people. I see this kind of person though specifically quite a lot, you know, of the person that will say anything, like without a filter, and will just like say it. But then you also like kind of can realize that they can't help it, and then but like you said, you are also like charmed. There's like he's like so mean to the actresses. So there's like three different actresses that he goes through where he's gonna be like filming these scenes and the first one is like where we kind of see like the the intro to how he is he's like trying to he's like trying to get put her in a situation to get the acting performance out of her and he's just like no you figure out the solution and he's basically saying like I'm a great director and I'm everything and if you're a good actress you're gonna figure it out so no you're obviously a shit actress and that's where he goes on it but then there's one scene where um, he's like getting fed up with her, you know, and then he goes, ah, he goes, ah, there's a fire. He let's go take a break and go see what that is. And he goes and they like, see what the fire is. And like on the way back, he like goes on this impassioned speech about, it. he's like, he goes, you know how in theater, like there's all these like emotions and, and you're blocked in because of the walls and the energy and like the actor's energy is there, but it's caged in. But then out here when we're doing this and we're making our film, we're doing this. The, the the energy just explodes and that's what caused that fire and it was like kind of like endearing I was like okay but then two scenes later he's actually chloroforming her to to kidnap her so then it's like oh there we go <laughs> same time he does it all of those things and that's where I you know I think I would if I was showing like a be my cat is kind of film you could watch with other people oh yeah something like make thing it's more of a close the doors watch that by yourself take a shower don't tell too many whereas be my cat like you know even when he's chloroforming her it's disturbing but i was also laughing you know because he's going like oh don't worry it's It's, water uh, (laughs) it just smells like chloroform because it was in a bottle with chloroform (laughs) and we're all going oh that's chloroform and then even when he gets her he's like look Look, she's Lupin, I've got her, but don't worry, you know, I wouldn't do that to you. And it's, uh, yeah, it's disturbing, but you can't help but not laugh at it. Oh, he is so funny. Like when he goes, he goes, oh my God, look, she's so asleep right now. After how he chloroformed her, like the way he talks is does really does crack me up. And yeah, don't, don't worry, Anne. Like, don't be, no, he doesn't even say, don't worry, don't be jealous. Okay, I have to do these things, but we're going to do the real stuff. But don't be jealous about this. Like, this is this is just funny. And then he's and, and, and don't worry. I'm this is me, the character doing this. This isn't me, Adrian, doing this. This is the character in Be My Cat doing it. And so he's like has this like, you know, weird, um, you know, kind of schizophrenia to him almost you know, where he's talking to Anne and then he's his two different characters. And so like after the chloroform and then he has like her tied up and he like 
goes on this speech and like this is like kind of where you're like uh oh okay this guy's gonna go to some places when he is telling Anne and he's like I deserve you I deserve you Anne I deserve you on all levels and me as the director and you as an actress and me as a producer and writer and like I'm gonna make you a god and I deserve you and I was just like oh boy like this guy he keeps putting he puts all the actresses in the cat suits before he does it because that's that's his thing he he we find out later he loves cats so much um he but so he he hides he kills the first actress by he he strangles her and he says like "Ah, i'm making a sacrifice and they just stashes her in the basement and thinks it's hilarious Yeah, because he's like, uh, yeah, it's down in the basement, isn't it? Under like uh, some kind of wooden thing. And he's like, no one's going to find her. And he's just so like ecstatic about the fucked up things that he's doing. <laughs> yeah, like he he is having a good time. And and that's one thing, too, that I just enjoy about this, like especially knowing like he, Adrian did this as like a you know one man band type deal. And it just like. I also just like, I'm like, man, this guy was having a lot of fun. I hope these actresses were having a lot of fun. I was like, like, I mean, if this was as fictionalized as I hope it is, you know, uh, like you said, keep the curtain down. I'm going to figure it out for myself. But um, uh, I do see like the actresses like did like premieres and like the festivals with them and stuff. So I'm assuming they also had a really good time um, doing this film as well. But like he just looks like he's having the time of his life this entire film. And like that made me happy. Yeah, he definitely looks like he's um, just going through this, like having a really good time. And I mean, I guess that's the thing about uh, this one is the way, like you were saying, you know, the way that um, it's shot and presented is almost as it's been filmed. And I think it, you know, it feels so authentic. And I think the actresses, hopefully they were having a good time making it. And if they were, like all of the performances in the film are very, very good. Like the the interaction he has with all of the actresses are so awkward that you can just you know how you were saying like cringy you can literally feel the cringe in the movie when he's having these conversations um and then you know after he's stashed her he goes and gets her apologies there's my cat oh kitty (laughs) she uh yeah he goes and gets the actress that obviously he starts calling uh fat and old and not looking like her picture whatsoever yeah that that gal uh that's flory so the first girl sonia um she he forces her to run through the streets and and he just like kind of really like torments her she eventually actually calls the cops and then he (laughs) and that before she gets chloroform killed so then he picks up flory who apparently I guess she sent older photos because, I mean, she was like, yeah, I mean, I guess I want to do the film, but, like, you seem like a nice guy. Out of nowhere, this actress is showing up because (laughs) she just wanted to have sex with him, and then he just, like, thinks it's hilarious, and, like, he's like, (laughs) she wants to fuck me. Like, what? I'm trying to make a movie here. Like, and she wants to fuck me. How weird. And, like, that whole exchange is pretty, is just pretty hilarious, like, in general. And that actress is like kind of, she's kind of, she kind of turned things up for me a little bit. So the first actress was a little awkward, but then, I mean, understandably so. 
But then just like this, I was like, okay, what is going on with these two now? And then that's kind of what I love about the film too, is like the, the chapters between the different actresses involved, they have these different interactions between him. Like you said, like they have these, each one has a very interesting relationship and it's like, so it's like, you know, the first one, she was kind of a little bit more panicky. And then this one, he's kind of caught off his game a little bit. And then, and then the third act, you know, kind of goes in a completely different direction. You're not really expecting it to go to. Um, but yeah, poor, poor Flory. He's, he's real mean to her. <laughs> yeah. He's so mean to her. And I mean, I think it kind of, it, cause I think, you know, going back to like how his character is, I think the whole way through we're feeling like he's hilarious. And I think that's kind of like the first time when he shows that he's got a really quite sinister side as well. That is, almost more dangerous than he comes across the whole previous times yeah that's uh we definitely get to see his uh darker side and like what's interesting about it is like in this instance too like in a typical film you would see like you know now you're kind of like she's offering herself and like presenting herself this way and he's like being really mean then you're like oh no, he's gonna like sexually assault her or something, you know, and like you think it's gonna go in that direction. And then like, that's like kind of where like almost wins me back over to him that he like doesn't care for that. That he's like, no, like, no, I don't want any of that. Like you're even like though she's offering too. So it's like, I'm glad that they didn't go in like some way that he just like is like, oh, well, fuck it. You know what? She's offering herself. Let me do some crazy weirdness to her, you know, or something like that. I like that they just, like, kind of decide not to go in that direction. Where it's like, no, he's just going to be really fucking mean to her. And that's, like, you know, just as bad on a level. <laughs> yeah, I think it was actually a bit fresh air. Because, like, I yeah. feel most, most films, they always go down the, the route of, like, sexual rape. And, I mean, it's, sometimes it's, like, quite hard to to escape from, you know, like mm-hmm. you said, it's they go to murder someone they're like well I'm I'm here now I may as well also go uh, a little bit extra but yeah I really liked that there was there was none of that in the film and um also I don't think you actually see any of the actresses naked or partially naked at all through the film which is again quite a you know something interesting that he does he just avoids that because of course he's you know his one true love is Anne Hathaway yeah, um, he he definitely doesn't um, like explore him in that way. Um, like he does have like Flory like in her like undress for a minute, but then he before goes into torturing her, puts up a sheet around the tripod for for Anne. He says, "Oh, Anne, I don't want to subject you to this," and like you know, you you don't care to see her like this. You don't care to see her like undressed. So yeah, in a in a weird way, it does um, an advocate for censorship if there's ever been a creepy director for it, and um, which getting to that scene is just like that's I guess like you know one of the more brutal scenes is he is you know he's telling Anne that he's what he's about to do he's gonna cause her physical pain for real because she it requires it for the role and she's making the ultimate sacrifice and he's doing her a favor by putting her through a physical pain meanwhile flory still at this point is laughing like she was like kind of concerned when she was getting tied up but then she's still laughing whenever he's talking about like oh hey and she thinks i'm gonna use fake blood with strawberry syrup 
uh, the way he says syrup is really funny. And <laughs> and he's like, you know, I'm not going to use the fake stuff with syrup and paint and meat chunks. No, I'm going to just cut her for real. And um, I also... <laughs> Which brings me to the point, I love that Adrian's uh, tool of trade throughout the whole movie is this, like, really dirty-looking knife. It's nothing nothing fancy or anything. Not even a clean knife. It's just a dirty knife. <laughs> <laughs> and it's quite small as well. It's, like, it's not even a big dairy knife. It's just, like, this little tiny, you know, it looks like a steak knife, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the one they had, like, laying around. He's not trying to do anything fancy. Um, but he decides he's gonna cut chunks out of Flory, and he like does it behind the sheet, and we get some good splat blood splatter on the sheet. Love that. Um, a again like a really interestingly restrained shot, you know, and and the fact that we still like didn't like even get to see it. I wanted to see like what he was doing, you know, and then it's just kind of left to our imagination. So, um, really really interesting frame shot. Good job, uh, Adrian. On the directing there i thought it was uh yeah i thought it was quite a, an inventive use and obviously great for budget as well which is mm-hmm. one thing that has to be commended is like doing all of this and finding inventive ways like the sheet to obviously avoid having to do special effects and one thing about that scene that disturbs me the most and like you said we don't we don't really see anything we just know that she's obviously being cut up by him behind this sheet and then two guys come because they hear her screaming and she is screaming for her life and they come and uh, Adrian's like oh no it's fine you know I'm, I'm making a movie you know she's just she's acting she's acting two guys kind of laugh and they just walk off and she's we know she's like no no I'm, I'm dying here and they're just like oh okay it's a movie which actually you know you think about it and it's like that's quite scary you know how I guess it's talking a lot isn't it about the film and found footage and realism and what is the film and what's not going back to Adrian who is he is is it which Adrian is he really <laughs> yeah he like yeah like you say he like gets those two guys to just kind of walk away and ignore it because that's like his excuse the entire movie is how he's gonna get away with everything and he just keeps like he tells the victims He's just like, hey, I keep telling everybody. Everybody knows I'm making a movie, so like, it's not going to matter. And then we obviously see that. Some people just like, because apparently also, according to him, no one makes movies in this town but him. So like, I guess people don't really know what it's like when a movie's being made. So I guess, yeah, in that town, people would just be like, oh, making a movie. Oh, that looks pretty real to me. And then might just walk away. And that <laughs> does make it interesting. And then it's like, after he like goes back and finds that Flory's dead, he like I guess was trying to keep her alive, which that sucks. She had a really just like long, painful death of bleeding out and getting cut up. And then he goes, after he realizes that she's dead, he starts like kinda of giggling to himself. He goes, Oh shit. I don't know if I'm the character or me. I am the <laughs> character. He goes, I am the character. I'm I've made it. I've made it, you know? <laughs> And and he just, like, kind of laughs to himself. He's like, Anne, like, I made it. I think I'm ready. I don't even need this third actress. I'm ready for you now. Like, holy shit, I'm good. And I was just like, what? 
<laughs> I think that is hands down one of my favorite bits when it suddenly it just clocks in his brain and he's like oh yeah sure I'm I am the psychopath and now I'm you know and gonna love me it's such a a good you know scene and his facial expression you can literally see like the light bulb being clicked on when he's like oh shit yeah I, I'm I'm the bad guy here um and it's and yeah it's disturbingly hilarious because you're kind of just like he's he's that delusioned and that mental that you're like I can't do anything I'm either going to laugh or I'm going to cry at how fucked up this is like <laughs> yeah he yeah just the like you said like you really do see it like in his eyes for a minute when he just goes yeah like i i have made it now and it it's so genuine and i absolutely love it and so like super weird so like while he's doing all the stuff with flory he has the third actress he already picked her up because flory didn't look like anne hathaway he says i don't want you so he goes well i guess i'll go get the third actress and then like have her ready because like this chick doesn't look like anne hathaway and he's like so upset about it so um the the other actress is Alexandra and um she she like helps set up like Flory's death unknowingly and they just tell her like hey you can go like we're just going to shoot this scene ourselves you can go and then she's just like all right and so like she leaves and then so whenever he's trying to um clean Flory up Alexandra does show back up and then she finds Flory's body and then, like, realizes everything. Um, but I do want to draw attention to a another really great just, like, release scene where after he is cutting up Flory, then we cut to him sitting with Alexandra and then she's just singing a song. And she has a very pretty singing voice. I was like, oh, this is nice after that, all that weirdness that just happened, you know? Um, another great like editing choice just to, like throw that in there I really enjoyed that <laughs> yeah that scene is it seems to be super like random and out of place but um, I think it's quite nice and I also think it sets up because we don't get that much time with Alexandra before then she's uh, I we you know we've got to know flurry a bit more um, and so I think it's quite nice scene to kind of give us a sense of who Alexandra is and the type of uh you know even though obviously she doesn't speak much and it's just kind of the song I think the audience maybe in that minute gets a bit of a connection with her and I think it sets up nicely into of course the the kind of final scene where he's wanting to kill Alexandra and she's of course talking him him down I guess well she's like it's interesting because she's like talking him down but still talking him up like for like trying to like do this like reverse psychology of being like yeah you just you're ready to talk to Anne yeah you need to tell Anne everything and like she she like plays this like sympathetic uh angle to it you know which because at first I was like ah she had the upper hand at one point because she had the camera she had the camera at that point she had the upper hand and she could have gotten out of the situation in that aspect she could have been like hey i will destroy your footage and Anne will never see any of this if you don't let me go or like you know i don't know she could use that as leverage but then she somehow let him manipulate her into he got the camera back and then up against the wall i was like damn it but then 
but then she she mentally fought her way out of the hole and and she um you know managed to talk him down enough you know at least for at least for what we know you know we 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 don't know for sure who knows but no uh, we don't know but she was really smart though um in in the way that she like kind of approached it cuz she realized the person that he was like okay there's not true reasoning so you know what fuck it let me feed into his delusion a little bit and get him that way and then you know i'm gonna skedaddle on out of here you know so yeah, kudos I, to her on that seems to be quite effective as well and i think um i think it's even though it's perhaps not the most extreme uh ending of a, a film i've ever seen i think in other ways like it's really fantastic uh, acting at the end there and I think you know it's a bit of a, a testament to the film that um, you don't always need to show a lot of mm-hmm. gore violence um, if you've got you know kind of strong characters and good acting you can actually make it very disturbing just with very small tactics which is why I think it's you know it's quite effective and and like we said as well it's, it's absolutely hilarious as well which is you know, that always helps. Yes, it, it 100% helps. And it's just like, it's, it's, you know, that's why I like found footage is you do have to get inventive and maybe not always in just, you know, showing everything that you can. And like you said, just leaning into the strength of a performance or the performances. I mean, cause like you said, they're all, all really great in general, and I just, I really love the whole, like, just weird meta-ness to, the, to all of it and, like, kind of just the way it was shot and, like, uh, the way that Adrian approached it. Um, it's definitely one of the more unique found footage movies I've seen. And um, I really, I really enjoyed it. And he apparently is in post-production for another movie. So it's like him doing some post-apocalyptic mission or something I don't know sounds interesting so I will definitely be checking that out um but yeah and I also have to shout out because um he loves Anne Hathaway I do not I think you also said you do not love Anne Hathaway and neither does Flory who uh quote says uh I don't like her she's a horse person she's not an actress is what she said about Anne Hathaway. And you know what? I think I agree with that sentiment. I'm not an Anne Hathaway fan either, but you know, that's fine. <laughs> it, it's something about like, I don't know, like, and her, like when she acts, she looks like she's like trying not to move her mouth or something. And her voice is annoying. And I don't know. She, she's, she has her moments here and there. I, I'll give her that. Like Colossal is pretty fun. Um, I, I will give her that, but she's a terrible cat woman though. Like Adrian, you have terrible taste. We all know it's Michelle. We all know that. <laughs> so if you're, you're wanting anyone to be your perfect cat person there, there she is right there. Um, and, and I did also just like need to touch on like the, where the like whole cat thing comes from. And there's a section he's describing is like, I don't like boys and dogs. I only like cats and girls. He's like, boys and dogs, they're bullies and they're rough and they're 
and I don't like them, and they're they're exactly the same. He's like, but cats and girls, they're they're so innocent and so sweet, and and they're just the best. I love cats, and and I, the movie's about whenever I killed my cat when I was a kid by accident. I was playing with it with some rope, and I loved it so much that I accidentally killed it, and I was just like, uh, you just fried my brain, bro. Like that's a that's a um. I was real stoned while watching this one before before we recorded. And uh, that that's a really funny scene, even though he's talking about killing cats. And then they just walk up to, for, for the comedic timing of it, there's a dead cat just on the side of the road goes, oh, hey, look, a dead cat. <laughs> <laughs> I do love that about the film. It's just, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, the more I think about it, it's more of a, you know, a dark comedy more than anything, um, a dark comedy found footage, but you know, it's it's got that element of, I guess, anything where you can laugh at people getting, um, you know, chloroformed and dressed up in cat costumes and then murdered. It's it's kind of going, hmm, are you okay? But yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, I would definitely uh, consider it. Um... A, a dark comedy for sure in a, in a super, super duper strange way, but I'm absolutely uh, happy that I stumbled across this film and we were able to talk about it. Um, but I will find long pigs. I will find long pigs. I swear. And that is going to go ahead and do it for this week's episode. Zoe, thank you so much for coming on and chatting some extreme horror for us. Um, you know, I really definitely enjoyed um, watching, you know, again, like a another subgenre within horror that I didn't uh, think about tying in so well with found footage in general. So um, and these two with the contrast of being very sad but then the other one being very hilarious paired up super nicely today so thank you for coming on by where can the people find you thank you for having me um everyone can find me it's at zobo with a shotgun that's website podcast youtube um and other places i write for some other places like jump cart screen magazine um and i'm working on a few other projects but yeah just mainly just tweeting about weird movies that I watch on the internet as, uh, as we all do. Hey, no judgment for me sitting around tweeting about movies is pretty much my favorite thing in the world, but that's going to go ahead and do it for this week's episode of the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club. New episodes every Tuesday. Join me next week as I have two guests on to talk about the entire Paranormal Activity franchise. Six movies, guys. Six movies. Make sure you are following the Twitter and Instagram page at Bloody Blunt CC. And until next time, guys, stay lifted. <laughs>